morning. The reading this morning is from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21, and it's from the NIV. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But everyone, whoever lives by the truth, comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God.
Well, we continue in our series looking through the Gospel of John, and we come to some weighty verses. Uh, we're going to uh, send out our young people. Greg, I've got the message. Uh, if you are 11 to 14, and in alternative, please follow Greg. Uh, go and, uh, and be uh, with you guys. Uh, God bless you as you learn together. <clears throat> we come to some weighty passages um, this morning. And if you remember at the beginning of John 1 verse 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Light and darkness are key images in this passage. And then we come to John 3.16. Many people's first memory verse, I would suggest. One of the crown jewels in the gospel. But like any museum or gallery that you've been to, if you've ever gone to see the crown jewels, you know you have to journey a little bit along the way before they let you see them. Same if you've gone to uh, uh, Ira in Vatican City. If you want to go and see uh, the, um, what's the, what's the place called? The chapel? Sistine, I can't remember what it was. The Sistine Chapel. They take you on such a long journey. You've got to go through all these corridors before you finally stand in awe in the Sistine Chapel. Sistine Chapel. Today we're going to get to that crown jewel, John 3.16. But John brings a character to us. And that's not by accident. Nicodemus is going to show us something, reveal us something, and then we come to this amazing passage. So we're going to go on a little bit of a journey uh, with an interesting character along the way. John's not haphazard in the story that he tells. I'm sure he could have told many, many different stories that highlight who Jesus was, but he tells us this story. So as we engage with it, I pray that we might learn from it, grow from it, be challenged by it, and transformed by it. Amen. Jesus is on the move. He's regularly going back to Jerusalem. Other gospel stories build the story differently. In, in Mark, I don't think he goes back until right at the end. Here in John's, he's going back and forward all the time. He's coming back to an annual celebration of the Passover where they gather to retell the Exodus story, enact the story, remember their story. He was going and being part of that celebration. And then if you remember from last week, John's already told us that Jesus knows what is in people's hearts from John 2. And he doesn't entrust himself to them. In the story today, Jesus doesn't entrust himself to Nicodemus. As he comes into the story, we're instantly sceptical of this guy. He's clouded in darkness. If you've got the passage open to you, uh, you'll see that. He came at night. There's a darkness to this story. If we were watching a movie or a theatre show, Nicodemus would come on with foreboding music in the background. Who is this guy sneaking in under the cover of darkness? Jesus was shamed in the temple courts. However, this guy comes in to meet him, not in the light of day, but in the darkness. You see, the rulers have an issue. Jesus is doing signs and wonders that they can't understand. Nicodemus, under the cloak of darkness, uh, may be unaware of his own night darkness that he carries with him. 
rabbis and teachers in the day would debate long into the night. He would probably have come, Nicodemus, from a meeting of religious leaders. They were debating and working out, who is this Jesus? Then someone comes up with a great idea. Nicodemus, you go. You sneak off. Go and find out what he's all about. Maybe reluctantly, maybe fervently, he left the comfort of the temple courts and found himself sneaking in the darkness, trying to find out what was going on. So the sent one, Nicodemus, left the comfort, found himself sneaking around. You see, to find yourself aligned with Jesus in this day, suddenly a Pharisee, was a risky business. Jesus was the anti-celebrity, the person you really did not want your picture taken with or anyone known that you spent time with him, certainly if you had status and power and authority. But Nicodemus is someone important. He's used to being treated in a certain way, even in the shadow of darkness. But he says to Jesus, Teacher, we know who you are. We can see what you're doing. And you must be from God because nothing else seems to make sense. What a flattering statement Nicodemus says. Jesus, in his response, is pleasant but confrontational. Many times it must have felt like, oh, Jesus, why are you saying these things? This guy is serious business. You upset him and we upset many people. Nicodemus says, I've seen signs. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You might have seen the sign, Jesus says, but you're not able to understand it. You're not able to understand it unless this phrase comes up, you're born again. Nicodemus is grasping. He knows exactly what born again means. He knows what it means, even despite him saying, how can someone be born with when they are old? He knew what being born again meant. Nicodemus knew what born again meant because if you're a Gentile and you wanted to convert to the Jewish faith, it was talks that you were born again. It was a phrase that he knew exactly what it meant. Every non-Jewish person into the faith was born into that faith, born again into that faith. And Jesus is saying, so you know that thing that you say the Gentiles need to do? This is really deeply offensive. That thing that you say those unclean people need to do? Jesus is saying, ah, you need to do it. You need to do that thing. I know it's got nothing to do with physical birth. Stop being so silly, he says. And he says, goes on even further. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, in verse 5, unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. You say that I'm a man from God, but you're not listening, Jesus is saying. You can't grasp what I'm telling you. God wants to bring new life into the old ways, bring about change into our faith through spirit and water. That change that the Gentiles went through is the change that we all need to go through. You see, the kingdom of God that the Jews thought was all about themselves, Jesus is saying, in me, there is a new story coming about. It is now and it is through me. Can you see, it is said? Can you see what's happening around you? You have to be reborn to see it. 
And that's the message, that's what the message hinged on. Jesus is telling a well-respected member of the ruling council, you can't enter this kingdom of God that we know about. Imagine telling a Durham professor that they need to redo their GCSEs to be able to teach. It's not going to go down very well. Saying, just like the Gentiles, we all have to totally change our thinking. You have to change your thinking if you really want to be part of this kingdom of God story. You have to grasp it. But it just doesn't compute. Something needs to change in Nicodemus. He needs to update himself find this new way of thinking, but he can't seem to grasp it. Were they going to figure it out along the way? You see, Jesus signaling a new beginning, a new birth that cleanses and renews, just like the Old Testament talked about that renewal of the hearts and our hunger for God's will. Jesus is pointing them to the same thing. The Holy Spirit's coming. The Holy Spirit's coming, Nicodemus, not at night, but coming through Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit's coming, will you see him? And then the only sentence, the final sentence recorded uh, of Nicodemus is saying, how can this be? And then Jesus has another little dig, you're a teacher. (laughs) You're the teacher and you can't see it, you don't know. Can you see something different? He's teasing it out of him. You're the ruler, you should see this stuff, you should have been prepared all along, but you're missing it. You should have understood what's happened in the temple and you should be living it out now. And so at this point, our character, Nicodemus, disappears into the background. But not from the gospel. He appears again a couple of times. Eventually he comes around to Jesus' words and carried his body from the cross, placing it in the tomb. Nicodemus had a transformation story through his encounter with Jesus. He would have given up a lot that day. And on that day, he stepped out of the darkness to carry Jesus into the darkness of the tomb. And I'm sure he was around when the light came three days later. And at that point, he understood what Jesus meant when he said he must be lifted up more powerfully, I'm sure, when he carried Jesus' broken body from the high place of the cross to the low place of the tomb. He would go on to totally understand what this kingdom of God was all about. And Jesus goes on to say, I know what I'm talking about, Jesus says. Son of man says some interesting stuff, some right stuff. Are you listening? Then he, there's an amazing story about Moses. It says, just as Moses lifted up the snake uh, in the uh, wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This requires us to go on a little detour to Numbers 21. And we find another little story. There's a bronze snake on the top of a pole in this story. It was the story where at the time there was a plague, God sent a plague on, uh, on Israel to punish them for their grumbling and their murmuring. God judged the people and sends a mini plague of venomous snakes uh, that bite him. The people repent 
along the way as you would. Uh, Moses is asked to pray for them. And God says to Moses, make this stick, put the snake on top of it. So Moses made the bronze snake, put it on the pole. When anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the stick, they lived. What is that about? Why is Jesus talking about that? You see, because we look at this and we see another stick in our story, don't we? In the crucifixion story. We understand that God judged Jesus for the sins, <clears throat> that he was lifted up on this large stick in the end, a cross, a cross where we can receive true healing when we come to the foot of the cross, not from a snake bite, but from sin's bite. Nicodemus faced the reality of the one who was doing signs, what he was really saying. You see, Jesus shamed the temple presented his true credentials in the dark of night to a key player who should have understood it. You see, that, mo that stick Moses held up in the, air, in the air was destroyed in the end by King he Hezekiah. Why was it destroyed? Because too many people treated it as a magic wand, that in the stick somehow there were some inherent magical powers. What saved the Israelites from the snakes wasn't the, snake, the, st the stick, it was God's grace. The stick was just ever meant to be a symbol. Jesus is more than just a symbol, as if we can hold a wooden cross and it gives us some magical power, or if we can kiss it before a football match, it makes a difference. The, the Father has granted the Son to have life in himself. He is himself the resurrection and this new life. Those who believe in him will have life not because of a stick or a symbol, but because of the power of the Spirit. How can this happen is our question as well. You see, the kingdom of God is seen and entered. It's an experience of rebirth, of coming to God, of eternal renewing. <clears throat> eternal renewing through the, the saving grace of the cross through the act of the cross, not because of the little symbol that we might hold on to. We don't know when Nicodemus leaves the scene, but it turns into a monologue now, and uh, then the author's reflection. Nicodemus was the main character <coughs> alongside Jesus, but he gets forgotten about as John seeks to communicate a new story, communicate a new message. And we step into hallowed grounds of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If Nicodemus was still in the room, he would be screaming out of the top of his voice. <clears throat> God doesn't love the world, he'll be saying. God only loves Israel. We're his chosen people. We're the unique, special ones. <coughs> but Jesus said God so loved the whole world. You see, it wasn't about Israel. It was always about God. In those five words, <coughs> John is communicating this change of a worldview. <coughs> the early church would go on to keep arguing this more and more. How do we understand, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
It's what the early church were wrestling with. <coughs> Trying to figure out how Israel and Gentiles, how new people could come into this amazing story that we've inherited along the way. That where there was separation, there is now unity in Christ. He was encouraging people not to step back into the darkness, but to stay in the light, the light that's everywhere. Jesus is sent everywhere on this planet. Everyone is made in the image of God and loved by God. Jesus steps into the darkness and shows us the light. We're not condemned by the darkness. You see, we're all infected. The fall infected the world. The sun came to save it. God's law failed solely because Israel was not able to follow in the obedient way of God. Darkness and sin came along. The temple failed. Jesus came up to stand against the temple saying, why are you doing all these things? There's a better way. There's a different way. And John concludes, God so loved the world. God loves light, calls us to be in the light. I wonder if Nicodemus stayed in the darkness that night, so challenged and upset by what Jesus is saying. Missed the opportunity of stepping into the light. When did he figure out? When did he adapt? So how do we think about this today? From John 3, 16, over, I encourage you this week uh, to take John 3.16. Take it and read from there onwards. Because in that passage there is this gospel story. Just like you've walked through the museum, you've been interacting with different things along the way, and bang, we see this masterpiece in front of us, this gospel story in front of us. Nicodemus has been used as a way of just pointing us to this conclusion, this story that we're called to be around. Nicodemus stays in the, in the darkness, but we're called out into the light. A reconnected people, hidden with Christ in God. Nicodemus thought he was in a position of power. He learnt in the end where the true power was. Not in earthly rulers, but on the cross where sin was rebalanced for the second Adam to resolve what the first Adam failed to. We come to Jesus because we know who we are. There's no barriers in this gospel message for God so loved the world. He tells to a divided country, a divided political system, he says God loves the world, all of us. And it's true today as it was 2,000 years ago. No one's separated from God. Not the least, not the prodigals, not the outcasts. Not those physically ill, not those mentally ill, not the poor, anyone. No one is excluded from this gospel story that is at the pinnacle of our story. Everyone can come to that story and see who God is. There's no barriers along the way. There's no admittance fee. There's no stewards around. There's come and see this amazing masterpiece. This way that the glory of God came down to earth because the light's come into the world. And as a disciple of Christ, we're called to live in that light. To live a life of obedience to God. 
a life of being in the light, not a life of hiddenness. I think we're compelled to shine that light out. We're set free to, set that, to shine that light out. We live as free women and men called to set that light out to God. This is the gospel invitation. If you haven't already received it, I encourage you to receive it this morning. To step from the darkness into God's light. Not the light of condemnation, but the light of freedom. It's a journey of great discovery. It requires us to rethink how we think the world is. How we address the pain and suffering in our world. Are you willing to receive the light? That's why it's here. John said, look, this guy is, Nicodemus is clouded in darkness. Jesus is trying to give him the new story. And it's from John 3, 16 onwards that it's hard to reproduce those words, so I'm just going to read it out to verse 21. And this is the light. This is the masterpiece at the end of the corridor. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not stand, uh, does not stand condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict, John says. The light has come into the world but we the people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light but will not come into the light for fear of that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into light so that when we sing plainly, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. That's our gospel story. Step into the light Let's not get bored of telling the gospel story. But also let's be aware that we need to take some people on a journey. Nicodemus was taken on a journey to get to that point of seeing the light. Even if that story is an offensive story and some will be offended by the gospel story. But it's not enough to say, oh, well, we need to be offensive. We need to find ways of communicating that love in a gracious, humble way. Jesus was combative, I think, in some of his interactions. He could get away with it. We're called to be gracious in guiding people to this amazing masterpiece, this light that we hold within us and the light that we live out in our world. So let's be the light this week. I encourage you to take John 3.16 onwards. Maybe reread the first bit, see that journey that uh, John takes us on. And then hold the pinnacle. This amazing bit of scripture. If it's not your, one of your memory verses, why don't you make it one of your memory verses? Because in those few verses, we see the reason Jesus came. We see why he came and where he went. And we see how we're called to respond to that. Let us pray. Oh God, I want to pray for anyone this morning who is intrigued by being born again. Maybe you've been searching and seeking. 
Maybe like Nicodemus, you're confused. How can I be born again? God's saying new birth. That we're born into this new kingdom by accepting who Jesus is, the love that he has for us, the grace and the freedom that he gives us. Anyone who's questioning this morning, I pray that, Lord, Holy Spirit, you would speak to them. Reveal afresh the masterpiece of your gospel. Reveal afresh the hope and the grace and the truth that comes through your gospel. Lord God, I pray that you would teach us as a church community, whether we've been here a long time uh, or whether we're new to the faith, I pray we'd grow in our understanding, be transformed in our faith, not for any academic reason, but for the reason of being more able to shine that light out to the world around us, to point people to the masterpiece, to not get distracted, but see the one and true living God. Amen. Thanks, Amy.